But since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after, saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Great. Well, um, thanks again for having me. And um, it's great to have basically a brand new Bible, Joel. It feels like this Bible has never, ever been opened. So um, we'll have to have words about what you're doing at the Covent Garden Talks a little bit later on. Um, what can Jesus offer me that no one else can? That is um, the question we're going to consider this lunchtime. What can Jesus offer me that no one else can? What is the USP, if you like, the, um, the unique selling point of Jesus? And um, this lunchtime, we're continuing this series of talks you've been having here in Hebrews, a letter, or we might say a sermon, I think rightly understood to be one in which the preacher is encouraging his hearers to um, hold fast to Christ, to trust in him, if you like, for good. So 10 verse 23, have a look down just after the verses we've had read today, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Okay, so it seems that some were wavering, some were drifting in these churches. They were suffering, perhaps, and struggling to cope with just the shame of being Christian, the allure of sin prospect of defection it is sometimes isn't it as a christian very easy to lose hope you know i was meeting with a group of guys in the city the other day and we were just reflecting on this it's, it's so draining being a public christian standing up for the gospel at work it would be very easy to lose 
hope. No one's interested. I'm such a sinner. And yet these famous verses, which we're looking at this lunchtime, end a whole section all about our living hope. That is our great high priest, King Jesus, who has died, been resurrected, and now sits at the right hand of God's throne. And just one more bit of context. Have a look down at 9 verse 25, which is just before our reading started. Or in fact, I'll pick it up in verse 26. But as it is, he, that is Jesus, appeared once for all at the end of ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, sin or, or rebellion against God, or wrongdoing. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Um, my hope across these next two lunchtimes that um, I'm with you is that we might be persuaded that in Jesus Christ, we have a living hope. That is, he has made a perfect offering. He has secured forgiveness for us. He has saved us. Jesus is our living hope. And um, this then is the selling point for Christianity, Jesus offers us forgiveness. That is, the, that is the big central aspect of our hope. Jesus can take our sins away. He has made a full repayment of the debt I owe. He offers us real hope. Verse 18, forgiveness. That's what we're going to see. And yet today, for, for this lunchtime, as we start out in these verses, it, it's first of all the absence of real hope that I want us to note concerning priests and all their sacrifices without Jesus, there can be no true hope. We're just, in fact, going to focus on one of those verses that we had read out this lunchtime. Let me read it out again. Chapter 10, verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. I'll read it once more. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Um, now a priest is a religious figure, usually a man, Appointed to reconcile man and God. Appointed, if you like, as a go-between to, to make propitiation, to turn aside God's anger and bring us near to God. And in Jewish law, they did that through verse 11, sacrifices, killing animals, a goat, a calf, a bull. In Jewish law, they did that through repeated daily offerings. There were lots of priests and people knew their role. And I take it actually that the hearers of this word of exhortation would have known precisely what a priest did. They would have been in no doubt about their role. I was thinking about this as I was cycling over actually, but um, it's very easy for us to forget this, living in London in 2022. But um, for well over a thousand years, this was the only legitimate way of approaching God you know, make an offering through a priest at a temple. It's what the Old Testament told you to do. 
Uh, I don't know what you've seen over the last few weeks, but we don't seem to know much about the church who first received this sermon. Maybe it had Gentiles and had Jews. And um, perhaps it even had those who had been pilgrims to the temple, travelled down from Rome. They had been faithful, zealous Jews. And yet it never worked. That's verse 11, isn't it? This whole system, all, all this ritual, the stuff God said they should do, it never really worked. Even the system that God commanded couldn't ever take your sins away from you. And the priesthood didn't work. That's the first point on the handout. Even when the priesthood did what God told it to do, which wasn't always the case, the priest, verse 11, attended daily to his duties in the temple. Now, on its own, that tells you that that system would never do. And um, to let you into a bit of a Bernardo family crisis, um, Emily, my wife and I, had recently had a bit of a damp problem in our flat. Okay, so in our kitchen, just above the fridge, I don't know, there's a pipe or something in the ceiling that's burst and um, the water started coming through. Now, um, uh, the sort of uh, men have been over and they fixed it, but um, imagine they hadn't, okay? I would be hugely disappointed if the man my landlord sent to fix it had to keep coming back every day. I mean, wouldn't you be? I mean, it would show you hadn't fixed it, wouldn't it? Verse 11, if you're working, it proves that there is still stuff for you to do. And I'd have been extremely concerned if verse 11, he couldn't fix it and he had to bring in staff, a great big sort of damp fighting platoon. I mean, there were hundreds, thousands of priests who ministered in the temple over the course of Israel's history. Now, every priest, verse 11, stands daily at his service in the temple because he can't take your sins away from you. He can't secure your forgiveness. He himself is a sinful human. His attempts to deal with your sin are always going to be doomed. I mean, how can it possibly work? He himself is a sinner. And that is, of course, the tragedy of much man-made religion, isn't it? It's clear for everyone to see that the project is doomed. That's, in effect, the tragedy of sort of ritual, ritualistic religion. It looks good in one sense, looks very pious, but it's obviously doomed. Um, Emily and I spent a bit of time back in February at half term at La Sagrada Familia, which is this great big sort of Catholic cathedral in Barcelona, which architecturally at least is very impressive. And um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's got these great sort of high ceilings. It's designed by a guy called Gaudi, who was obviously slightly strange. It's got these massive stained glass windows. And as a point of order, if you do go to Barcelona in February, it is pretty much the only thing that you can do. But if you look beyond the stained glass, okay, and the stunning architecture, it is plain to see that the ministry itself is doomed. Um, it's plain that the religion with all its sort of ritual and daily posturing, it doesn't work. It is just obviously doomed to sort of get off the um, tourist trail and get a bit of space. Emily and I wandered around um, to the side of the sort of main auditorium and we found this great long corridor of 
um, confessional chambers, you know, where you go and confess your sins to a priest and he tells you what you need to do. But um, think about it for a moment. I mean, what is confessing to a priest going to do? What's the value of that? He can't take your sins away. It's God who is offended. He can make you feel bad, which is an interesting connection to verse three, isn't it? He can make you feel bad. But that's about all he can do. He cannot cleanse your conscience. Lift the guilt that comes with sinning. That's obvious, actually, just by looking at the queue. The queue of people who come back every day. A mass that's offered daily by a multiplying priesthood at the altar, sacrifices being made for you, it cannot cleanse your conscience because it can't secure forgiveness. Though a priest cannot take your sins away from you. And um, secondly, the same actually goes for their daily sacrifices. Did you notice that? They're impotent, says the author. They're futile. They're doomed. Verse 11, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Now, we've said that for the Israelites, the daily sacrifices involves killing goats and calves and um, killing bulls. And there was, in fact, quite a bewildering array of daily offerings that were offerings mandated first by God, so sin offerings and guilt offerings and burnt offerings and so on. But you see verse 11, they cannot ever work. They cannot ever, says this preacher, bring us near to God. They can't secure forgiveness. Take our sins, verse 11, from us. They just remind us that we are not right with God. And if I can put it this way, where we've reached by verse 11 is that animal sacrifices, anything that we offer, cannot be acceptable to God, okay? They cannot pay off our debt. Verse 4 of chapter 10, it is impossible, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, I've forgotten my visual aid at this point, but um, imagine I brought with me some Monopoly money, okay? And imagine I said, I owe you a debt of one million pounds. Well, however much Monopoly money I pull out, and I can't even remember if Monopoly money is in pounds or dollars or whatever, but a gazillion Monopoly dollars is not going to clear my debt. It is not the right currency to pay off that million pounds. Verse five. We'll come back to this next week. What is needed to pay off our debt with God? What is needed is a faithful man to come and do God's will. That is what is required for a pleasing offering. A perfect, sinless substitute. A man marked by obedience and not blood from some involuntary bull. You see, that is why a priest can never take our sins away from us, not even one who seems to do God's will to, to follow the Old Testament. And that is why no offering we make can ever reconcile us. Only Jesus can, who came to do God's will. 
And as we close, I, I want to say that a world with no forgiveness is a world that is uniquely terrible. A world with no forgiveness, where our sins are ever with us. That is an awful world, isn't it? That is quite terrible. And yet that's the alternative to Jesus all around us. That's the world we live in. It is terrible. A world with no forgiveness, where sometimes no one can restore us. And all we're left with is ineffective ritual. And Douglas Murray, the social commentator, says something very interesting on this in his latest book. He's not Christian. And actually, I think this is no longer his latest book, but listen to what he says anyway. In some manner with which we still haven't even begun to wrestle, we've created a world in which forgiveness has become almost impossible. We live in a world where actions can have consequences we never could have imagined, where guilt and shame are more at hand than ever, and where we have no means whatsoever of redemption. We do not know who could offer it. We do not know who could accept it. We do not know even if it's a desirable quality. Now that's fascinating, isn't it? From a non-Christian author. A post I put on Twitter as a teenager, as a child, it is brought up and it ruins my career. A quote of mine, removed from context or a shameful student photo and I'm canceled, I become this great pariah. The world in which we live, the world surrounding us today is a world that cannot offer true forgiveness, where people just prostrate themselves in front of any dogma to achieve even a temporary acceptance. And that world is so exhausting, isn't it? There is no lasting acceptance. There is no hope of definitive forgiveness. Indeed, there's no consensus on who offers us forgiveness. And is it even right that there could be forgiveness? And yet Christians have this awesome hope Assurance found with Jesus. Jesus Christ, we've seen, can offer us forgiveness. As Christians, we have a better hope, a sprinkled heart in Jesus, a pure conscience, full, final, true forgiveness. I mean, why ever would you give up that? Wherever would you turn from what you have in Jesus, the world around us offers no forgiveness. Wherever would you turn on back, this world craves forgiveness. And as we'll see next week, 